empowered by the Constitution, strengthened by the Bill of Rights, the American citizen was bestowed with the power and responsibility of civic engagement. Today, your voice is needed now more than ever, yet barriers stand in the way. How to start, where to begin, it can be confusing and overwhelming. We're here to help you take that leap, breaking down those barriers, providing you with the tools and knowledge to take on civics undaunted. The Civics Institute believes deeply in the rights of women to have bodily autonomy and be in charge of their own health care. In light of the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, we want to record a special episode focused on women's rights, abortion, and what you can do to get involved. As a white man, I don't have a place in this conversation, but I do have the ability to use my platform to amplify women's voices. So for this episode, I've stepped away from the microphone, and our producer Katie has stepped in to host, plan, and produce this episode of Civics Undaunted. Hi, I'm Katie Kaczarski. You don't normally hear me, but today is a special day. I am here with a group of women who are helping lead the way on the fight for reproductive rights and abortion. There is so much to learn, and I hope that you have the open mind to keep learning along with me. Hi everybody, it's Katie, and I'm here today with some amazing people. So um, I'm gonna ask our guests here for uh, just a quick little bit of introduction and um, a little bit of their experience because this is a very dense topic. So I have three amazing people with different perspectives. So um, let's go reverse alphabetical order with Tina. Hi, my name is Tina Durier. I am known mostly on social media as TL Durier, um, thanks to some gender neutral, uh, you know, instances of the name. Um, it helps because I am an artist and um, my work currently and for the past four or five years has centered on the political in general, but in on the feminist in particular. And as I started doing more artwork that would be considered feminist artwork, I also felt like it was extremely important to be part of the uh, movement and the um, the feminist movement and working to get more women elected to office because for me at the heart I feel like representation is the best way to achieve all of the goals that uh, the umbrella of you know the feminist movement entails so I became very involved in local politics I had always been involved in national politics to you know as just being an active, engaged citizen, but I got very involved in local politics and I use my artwork to amplify the voices of women running for office and you know, try and help them get elected even by fundraising for them through my work. All right. Thank you. Sally? Hi, my name is Sally Grossman. Um, I am a reproductive rights advocate. I am an abortion storyteller, um, and I currently serve on Planned Parenthood Votes CT Board, um, which is our C4 that um, help, that endorses um, candidates for political office in Connecticut. Um, so I was much like probably many people listening to this podcast. Um, I uh, didn't know what to do back in 2016. Um, after the election, I was 
was outraged and I was pregnant and um, I spent a lot of time crying um, and screaming into my pillow and swearing and, you know, just like, just, I was filled with rage and I knew that I wanted to do something. Um, I remember actually the election night making a vow to myself and to my daughter that I would I get emotional every time I talk about this, but that I would never do nothing again. Um, and and so I didn't know where to start. So I started sending, attending Planned Parenthood um, events. And the first thing I ever attended, it was called a Planned Parenthood action meeting. And instead of um, going to my, my baby shower, um, which was supposed to be that same day, I actually went to this action meeting instead. And, and that changed my whole life. I ended up testifying um, for the first time for paid family leave. Um, and this was in February, 2017. Um, and I was so terrified to do it that I was nine months pregnant that I was Googling how to go into labor. Um, so I would have a good enough excuse to not go through with it. Um, and it didn't work. And I testified in that. I, that ended up changing my life because I sat there and I, and I had, you know, everyone in that committee um, who would be voting on whether or not to, you know, move patiently forward. They had to listen to me and listen to my story. And there was something about that moment as terrifying as it was that just changed me. Um, and I've never looked back. So I've, I've testified for paid family leave, um, which eventually passed the $15 an hour minimum wage, um, Medicaid expansion. Um, I also am a clinic escort. And so I worked on um, a bill, banning deceptive practices by crisis pregnancy centers. Um, and also this, um, the bill this year that expands, um, that expands abortion access here in Connecticut. Um, so in, it really started because I was so angry um, and just needed um, to put my anger to good use. And, and I will say that Planned Parenthood actually um, really, really helped me and uh, really showed what you can do and what a difference you can make in the world just by sharing your story. Excellent. All right, Catherine. So I'm Catherine Hines, as I said before, and um, I guess I'm the grand dame of this panel um, because I've been um, kind of pro-choice since perhaps some of you were even born. I was in the eighth grade when I first debated it for the first time in 1967, 68. And um, interestingly enough, I was debating it from the pro-life, I'll say, um, perspective, which wasn't what I believed at the time. So that sort of gave me an interesting insight into how to take a stand, even if you don't agree with it. Um, so went to college in, in the early 70s and, and before Roe was, uh, you know, law of the land. And we were, um, as women, um, pretty pretty unknowing of what was going on i would say you know we were all about having consciousness raising groups and talking about you know why couldn't why wasn't the era moving forward faster but abortion was a little bit on the back burner um i'm one of five girls in my family and when i started talking about being pro-choice um, i was working at a, a boarding school in new jersey and was asked to come into a class and talk to them about why I was pro-choice. And this was in the late 80s by, by then. And I would talk about how there are five women in my family and four of the five women have had abortions. And so let me tell you their stories. And we just, it was so personal. And the, the, those four stories were so different from each other. 
um, and explaining how these four women were really different from each other that, and they were all staring at, they were kids. They were like, you know, sophomores and they were staring at me like, were you one of the four? And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. It, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of this sisterhood, a literal sisterhood. Um, I recently, I'm sort of the poster child for someone who discovered how to um, channel my anger into action um, later in life. It wasn't until uh, the first campaign that I was really involved in was o Obama's in 08. And I went up to New Hampshire and went door to door. And in New Hampshire, you had to like walk a mile between doors. So I think I talked to eight people in one day, which wasn't great. But then got more and more involved. And then obviously in 2016, campaigned for Hillary quite a bit and um, et cetera, and then saw what happened and became even more active on a local level. Um, um, we can talk more about that. But, you know, I've, I've sort of developed my own sort of principles for, for the slippery slope to political activism, because I know as a shy as a shy introvert, I know how hard it can be to get out there and talk to people, especially when it comes to subjects like abortion that everyone has a very strong opinion on. And now that we're so divided as a country, it's, it's even scarier because, um, you know, I was at a rally on Friday and I was looking around to see, is there someone, you know, with a gun coming in? Is there a car? And, and the violence aspect of it has gotten so much more um, intense. So, um, you know, really excited to be part of this discussion and to really help people understand that there's so many ways to have your voice be heard. And it's really important now more than ever that we stand up and, and get our voices out there. Wonderful. Um, so these stories, they're so different and I'm so excited because there's so much knowledge in this just panel right now. And as somebody who, you know, I am informed, but there's always things you can learn. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to learn today. And I'm kind of, I'm scared and I'm excited. So um, I hope the listeners are also currently excited about what they're going to learn. Um, so um, could you, this is um, definitely just a conversation for our listeners. So we're going to try and make sure we um, know who's talking, but there will be some times where we forget. Um, but all of the information is going to be very good information. So um why are reproductive rights important and why should everybody care? Well, I, you know, I can start just as Catherine, just really, I'll, I'll just say one thing and move on. But um, reproductive rights, if we're talking about abortion or anything having to do with our body parts, it, abortion is, is health care. It goes beyond reproduction. Um, you know, I, I told the story earlier that um, I was talking to my husband yesterday, and he's very progressive and open-minded and pro-choice and all that good stuff. And we had been to the rally on Friday in New Haven, and, um, you know, and he, we were both holding up signs, et cetera. And, and I was saying to him yesterday, you know, I had two abortions. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, I had 
two failed pregnancies where I had to go in and have a, a DNC, which is healthcare. It's dilation and curatage. And, you know, they cleaned it out. And he was sitting there holding my hand the whole time. And, you know, 20 years later, he didn't actually compute in his own head that that was healthcare. And so today, if you do that in Texas, you know, they, they drill down and they sit not physically, but emotionally and psychologically and in their questions saying, okay, you know, did you, you know, how did this happen? How are, how are you in this place right now where you need this procedure? And it's like, I don't want to be asked any of those questions. So it's, it's very basically for, you know, in my view, it's, it's about healthcare. It's not about abortion per se, but we, we also shouldn't be afraid to talk about abortion and use that word. Um, I will say that for me, one of the reasons that abortion is so important um, for everybody in the world, regardless of your gender, is because when women cannot and people with uteruses cannot control their reproductive sort of destiny, like when they want to have a child and when they can have a child, then they're not able to live up to their full potential. And so as, you know, on the, as a human and as a woman, I think that that's important, but also on an almost global level, you look at how much potential is lost when women can't control that aspect of their life. Like so many women, when they find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy in particular, um, they're usually young, they're often in school, they have their whole lives ahead of them. And these things can derail that um, very important, you know, path. And, and you know, it, it's what's interesting is so often the anti-choice people will say, you don't know if the, they'll say something else, but I'm going to use the proper terminology, the embryo or fetus that you aborted was going to be the next, the person who was going to cure cancer, right? That's the one of their arguments. And what I say is, how do you know that the person who was carrying that fetus or embryo was not the person who was going to have potential to cure, to use the example of cancer, and then they could not finish their destiny because they had to stop it in order to have that child. And so I, I just think for me, when I look at it, it, it's such a question of all of the potential that people have that they can are, you know, achieve because they can't control when they want to have a kid. And on a really quick other note, I also think that people should be allowed to freeze their eggs when they're young so that they can have family planning and have a child later in their life if that's what they want to do. So there's there's more than it's not just about abortion. It's also about saying, I know that I want to have a kid when I'm older and this will give me that right to do that instead of making me panic when I hit a certain age that I have to go out and have a kid. So that's just my perception. Oh, and this is Tina, by the way. <laughs> Hi, and this is uh, Sally here. Um, and so I, Tina and Catherine um, kind of said things that I are, that I wanted to say, but I did want to um, add this one, this one point, which I think kind of gets lost in the whole abortion debate, that this is not, um, what we are talking about is bod bodily autonomy. It, it doesn't matter um, whether or not you view a fetus as a living being, whether you think life begins at conception, that that is irrelevant to the abortion debate. So what we are talking about is whether or not you can force a human being to give part of their body in order to, to save 
another human being potentially save um, a human being, you cannot be forced to give blood. Even if it meant that I, no one can force me to give blood, even if it meant saving Tina's life and Tina could die and I wouldn't be called a murderer. I just wouldn't be, I wouldn't have to give my blood. You wouldn't be forced to give a kidney. You wouldn't be forced to give any part of yourself for someone else to live. Even when people die, if they did not give prior consent to their body being used after their death um, for their organs to be donated or for their body to be used, um, you know, donate to medical science, then they can't. A dead person. With with this um, decision by the Supreme Court, we are now saying dead people have more rights than pregnant people. And so this does not just um, affect people with the ability to get pregnant. It will affect everybody. Because if you say, if you force me to remain pregnant against my will, then what can stop me from forcing you to give me my kidney if I need one? And so this, this absolutely is not just a woman's issue or a people with uteruses issue. This is a human, a, a humankind issue. This is something that we should all be scared of, be terrified and furious about. Thank you. Thank you. That, that was well said by everyone. Um, so, I mean, any person walking on the street that is currently upset and very lost, what what can they do? Sally's gonna. <laughs> yes, sorry, hit the wrong button. Um, this is Sally. I'm sorry. I um did want to jump in here um because I get asked this question all the time um from people and people hate the answer um because one of the biggest things you can do in this very moment is to donate money to abortion funds. Every state has um, abortion funds set up. Connecticut has the REACH Fund. You can also here in Connecticut donate to organizations such as, you know, Planned Parenthood of Southern New England, Pan Planned Parenthood Vote CT, um, Pro-Choice Connecticut, Guelph, the ACLU. These are all organizations that are, that have been on the ground doing the work that have been fighting for reproductive rights. Um, abortion funds have also already been in place. They have the network, they have the reach, they have the resources and the people. Um, I see a lot of people wanting to do um, more direct actions. They want to take people in from out of state and bring them to abortion clinics. And that is that is a wonderful thing to want to do, but you you cannot just pick someone up at the airport. You need to go through reputable organizations. You need to be able, these organizations need money, need resources to be able to get to that point and expand um, the people who are willing to, you know, pick up people from the airport, bring people to um, appointments. And so I've, and I know people don't have a lot of money. Um, and so not everybody can donate, but a lot of people don't like that as an option because they're angry and they want to, they want to do, they want to physically do something um, in the moment. But really the best thing you can do is to give money to these organizations so they have the resources to continue doing the work that they do. Um, I was going to talk about um, about politics, but I do think that Tina is probably um, better or she uh, she would be the better person to, to speak about how, you know, um, volunteering for pro-choice candidates is also really essential. Uh, thank you so much, Sally. This is Tina. And um, I, I agree with you. It's such a hard thing. I do so much fundraising for candidates. Um, and 
you know, everybody gets tired of it. You know, nobody likes the fact that money is often such a crucial part of this conversation. And as you said, a lot of people don't have necessarily the financial resources to um, donate. And so if you don't have the ability to donate financially, I am often fairly, I'm an artist. I don't have a lot of disposable income. I am often fairly constrained financially. I can't, certainly can't give as much as I would want because I would give a lot if I could. Um, and so that is where I think politics and volunteering for campaigns is a, is a vehicle where you can um, make a big difference um, without having to open up your wallet more than, and again, I, I, I still, I agree 100% with Sally that if you can, whatever you're able to, it is so important. But in terms of other things that you can do, if that's not an option, volunteering for candidates, especially at the local level, my personal philosophy is that if you flip those, all of the laws that are currently being passed in Texas, Oklahoma, um, all of the red states that are basically banning abortions, that's being done by the state legislature, not by the federal government. So while it's incredibly important that we flip Senate seats and keep Congress and keep the White House, it is also crucial that wherever you can, you flip state legislatures, and that is either the state house, the state senate, or the state governor. If you flip even one of those chambers or one of those branches, you can actually gum up the works in terms of the way that people are passing these horrible draconian laws. And you, I know that gerrymandering is a huge issue. And, and, you know, we are sitting here in Connecticut, which is, you know, it's not safe, but it is certainly a, a you know, a blue state currently. And um, as long as we do the work, we should be able to keep it blue. But if you live in a red state where you're worried about these laws being passed, flipping seats is possible. And I know gerrymandering makes it hurt, but a lot of times getting a good candidate out there who will literally just knock on every door. And then what you can do as a volunteer is help them knock on those doors. And again, it comes down to money. If you can send them some money, that's great. But if you can't, you can phone bank for them. And you can't, you know, not everyone can door knock either. Because if it's like, I'm not door knocking in Texas, but I could phone bank in Texas. And you find those districts that have potential to flip. And if you flip enough seats, you could really slow down some of the worst of these laws that are being passed. And that's where really hyper-local activism, hyper-local political campaigning can make a difference. And this is Catherine again. I'm, I'm just, I totally agree. And I'm going to take a slightly different tack because I'm someone who's never had much expendable income. And recently I, there's so many good causes, you know, every other day something pops up and I find that I want to, you know, give money and I've had to like reduce my regular contributions to 10 bucks. And that's sort of my level. And it's like, how, how effective is that going to be? And I found that I really, I needed to do more just for, you know, my peace of mind and for my daughter. And, um, so I, you know, I, as I said earlier, I kind of backed into to being active and doing what I could. And to, to Tina's point, um, you know, a lot of that was local that I, you know, was able to just start attending meetings. And, and as a professional communicator, 
you know, I, I fully understand how important it is to start with, with informing people and, you know, letting them know that there are opportunities and how do you do that? And um, when I became involved at the local level, you know, I was always sort of pushing that we go beyond Facebook and we go beyond Twitter and because there are a lot of people who don't engage with social media who really want to do something, who give as much money as they can, but they still want to do more. Um, and so I, I always look for ways to engage people at that level. Um, in 2018, I started doing um, postcard parties because we found that um, people actually were resonating more with old school methods of being communicated with. And it was a really easy way to get 10 people in my living room. You know, we could write a hundred, easily a hundred postcards in an hour and, um, you know, and put the stamps on them and, and send to voters for, for local and national local campaigns. Um, and I really, I, I firmly believe that that helped move the dial that, you know, we actually, we were doing it locally at one point for, for a campaign in, in New Haven County. And a couple of days later, a, a friend who'd been at the postcard party um, was at work, which was at the hosp local hospital. And she had a friend come in and say, you know, I just, I got a postcard this weekend from someone, you know, someone who signed it, Sin. And it's, and this friend said, I know who Sin is. I was at the same postcard party. And it made such a difference and got the message out and it informed people because, you know, most people, as we have come to understand, don't understand how the laws work, how laws get made, how in your town you have committees that you could actually serve on that would, you know, move the dial. And, and Katie, what you're doing with the Civics Institute, I think is, is so awesome because there's such a knowledge gap about how not even how to get involved, but how the sausage gets made where you could get your hands in it. And so I, I think, you know, it, yes, it's money. We're a capitalist society. I'm all for the candidates in our state who, you know, raise money that the state matches and then they don't have to go out and get, you know, tons of big donors and they're not beholden in the same way. Um, and I just, I like to sort of broaden the, our ability to get people involved uh, beyond the money. So, I did want to, um, if that's okay, this is Sally. I wanted um, to add something as well um, because Tina and Catherine brought up great a great point about um, most people are not financially able to give what they want to give um, to all the causes that they believe in. And I certainly can't, which is why I started volunteering a whole bunch of my time because I did not have money, but I did have time. Um, but one of the a huge way to um, to get this issue across to um, humanize and destigmatize abortion is to share our stories. To share our stories about abortion, um, I have shared my my stories about my multiple abortions, um, and in very public settings, which was um, at first a little uncomfortable and then not uncomfortable at all. And then I brought my two kids with me and, and told them and it was, you know, um, was proud to stand there and share because it's nothing, it is nothing to be ashamed of. And so a huge thing um, that people can do um, is to 
is to speak out if they've had an abortion, to share that you don't have to go into a rally and share in front of thousands of people. First, you can tell your friends and family who may not know. When I first talking started talking about, um, you know, my abortions, I had friends that then told me their story. And I still have people that I've just met. I've known them for a couple of weeks and they know what I do. And so then they tell me about their abortion stories when they haven't told any members of their family. And these conversations need to happen um, wherever you can have them. So yes, it'd be great if you want to write an op-ed about what abortion means to you because it helped save your life or it you know helps you to finally have the family you wanted when you were ready. Um, but you don't even need to go that far. You, you can take the step of just sharing what you did to a friend, um, to a family member, because it is true that everybody loves someone who has had an abortion. Um, and I think if more people knew the, the great people that they love in their lives that have had to utilize this life-saving healthcare, um, they would be far less likely um, to judge because it is very clear that there is so much inf misinformation about abortion. Um, people do not know why why it is used, like all the instances where where it's needed, um, you know, how it does save lives, the impact of policies that we have in place that make parenting, you know, very expensive and almost impossible. Um, but it really starts with humanizing, humanizing abortion, destigmatizing it. So, um, you know, at the very least, if you have an abortion story, um, see if you can see if you can share it. And there's uh, there's organizations you can reach out to Planned Parenthood and, and people can talk you through, um, you know, steps that you can take. Um, but if you've also know someone that has an abortion, talk to them, um, support them and see if they're willing to have conversations with people that they love and be there for them because we're not we're not going to fix this problem if everyone thinks abortion is a dirty word. I, I really appreciate what Sally said. This was Tina because I can think of, and this is back before this even became a conversation because you know up until a few years ago I would have said that uh, abortion was a settled law and we didn't you know need to really worry about. I, I just really didn't think that Roe would ever be overturned. I knew that people would chip away at the rights, but I, I, I you know, I, I didn't think we would ever go backwards. As Congressman Himes said yesterday, I saw him and he's like, the Supreme Court's never taken away rights on this level before. They've always moved towards progress. So this is really unprecedented. Um, and I wanted just to say about Sally, uh, what Sally was saying about the stigma. I can think about before all this was a conversation, usually the conversations when you find out someone's had an abortion, they're late at night after a few too many drinks and people open up and share. And the fact that it takes that kind of situation for women to share their stories and their personal reasons for it, that should never have been the case. As Sally is saying, this should be a normal healthcare procedure. This should be something that we just accept and understand as a normal healthcare procedure. Like, you know, it's not like people are going out trying to get pregnant because they want to have an abortion. That's just a false narrative created by the right. Right. But it, it should just be like, okay, this thing happened. It's a problem. I need to fix it. And that's what I've done. So I, I totally agree that sharing our stories is so important. Thank you. Like those are, amazing options and there's plenty for anyone at any comfort level to get started and I think that's exactly what we need right now it's the place to get started so I appreciate all of those excellent options 
I don't like the word that I used excellent, but right now, like as someone who is very introverted, I could do all of those. Those are things that I can do. And like, it'd be a little uncomfortable, but I can have conversations. I'm doing it right now. So thank you for sharing. Um, I do have one more, not question, but um, I, I want to end today's podcast with a little bit of hope or encouragement because this past week has been just a little dark and there's a long fight ahead, but to get um to make that fight happen, we need a little bit of encouragement. And I was hoping that there would be some today. Hi, this is Sally. Um, so yeah, this, this is all very depressing and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's going to be a hard fight. Um, you know, uh, uh, anti-choice people have been have been doing this for 50 years to get this voice um to get this vote overturned um and they were finally successful but the one thing that we do have is um that we are on the right side of history um and as tina i think tina had stated that this is the first time that constitutional rights have been taken away and this will not stand um this will not last um women will again in this country um everywhere in this country have a right to have an abortion. And I think we can make it far better than what we had before. Because even though legally um, abortion, you know, was legal in all 50 states, it was not accessible to a huge portion of the population. Um, laws slowly chipped away at access. There were, you know, um, waiting times. Uh, there were financial issues. There were the fact that some states only had one abortion clinic. So to think that before this decision was was handed down that abortion was um, easily accessible to everyone, you know, is, is false. And so we can do better. And I think what we've done, what has happened here now, well, absolutely um, horrendous and disgusting. It has shown people um, what can happen when they do not fight for their rights. So it's going to take work and it's going to take work by a lot of people. But if we've, if we've seen anything from the past six years, we can see what pissed off women and and um in marginalized communities what what can be accomplished when enough of us come out and 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 do what needs to be done and so this is not the end by any means this is not okay we're just we're gonna accept this and and let people take away our rights that's not gonna happen we're gonna fight and we're gonna get our rights back and that's a given how long it takes depends on how many willing how many people are willing to fight alongside with us and maintain and maintain that energy, maintain that fight. But this is not this is not a time um, to be sad. This is a time to realize that this is an opportunity to make abortion even more accessible, actually accessible to everybody, to low-income people, to people living in rural areas, to black and brown people. You know, it's never it's never been easy for any of these communities to receive abortion care. And so now. We are starting over and we will make sure that that is exactly what happens. When we get the right for everyone in this country to decide what happens to their body, we will make sure that everybody has it, not just people in certain states. It's not just easier for rich white, white people. It will be easy and accessible for everybody.
Uh, all right, I'll go next. Um, I, I wanted to kind of build off what Sally said. It took 50 years of concentrated effort by conservative groups to overturn Roe. And they basically, the year after it passed, they started working on it and it took them this long. And, and, and that is, you know, just this is a testament to the fact that actually the majority of Americans support a woman's right to choose. Um, it's, what's interesting is that if you frame it as, do you support abortion? The number is much lower, but if you say, does a woman have a right to choose? The number is higher. So framing is extremely important. Um, and it's something that, you know, conservatives have framed this in more moderate areas as, oh, Democrats want post-birth abortion. You'll see them saying that quite often. And there are people who literally believe that that's what this argument is about, not about the right to have abortion. So one, there's a lot of misinformation. They basically had to lie to people to get this passed. It took them 50 years of concentrated effort, gerrymandering, lots of different things that they did to be able to succeed at this. So they basically lied, cheated, and stole. Um, and they were successful, but this is not the end, as Sally said. This is the beginning of the fight to make sure that we make a better future and better choices for women and better ways to access abortion. And I was at a rally yesterday in Norwalk, and I have to say that there was something that the organizer did at the beginning that I thought was great. She said, turn to the person on either side of you, introduce yourself, get your name. We are doing this as a community. We are doing this together. We have to stick together. And, you know, some people are like, oh, well, going to a rally or protest, that doesn't do anything. And I'm like, well, it builds community. You meet people, you find out new ways to get involved. Um, you know, I don't think you, you, certainly you don't end at the, at a protest or a rally, but that's a good starting place. And it also tends to make you feel a little bit better about how awful this is because you're not alone. So I went to a protest Saturday, uh, Friday night in Stanford. I went to another one in Norwalk yesterday and I went to Pride in New York City today just to be part of the community of people who I know lift me up and support me and are standing beside me fighting in this fight. And I, so um, I really think that there's a lot of hope to be found in the community of people who are in this with us together. So that's my offer of hope. That's really great, Tina and Sally. And I'm just going to continue to build on that. Um, I've been doing, I'm working on a project about a musical ensemble. And one thing that I've um, understood, I'm not a musician myself, but there's a, a concept in singing called staggered breath, which means when you're trying to sing an, a really long note that you physically can't do, that if you're in a community or a chorus of singers, that you that it gets staggered so that people can stop and breathe when they need to, and the, yet the note is continued and the audience doesn't realize that, um, that that technique has been used, which I just love as a concept. Um, I, I think, you know, what I've been hearing a lot from friends and people on social media is, okay, we have to do more than rallies, but exactly what Tina and Sally are saying. When you go to a rally, even if you're standing on the back or in on the sidewalk, um, just looking around and knowing that you're not alone um, and that there are other people who are breathing the same air and having the same communal experience is huge. And it makes you feel empowered. And I will say that nothing right now makes me angrier and I'm trying really hard to funnel my rage in, into action 
nothing makes me angrier than to hear how the Democrats are going to take a shellacking in, in November of this year, because we have to flip that message and say, we can win this. We can, we can flip those Senate seats. We can flip those House seats. We, you know, we can give the Democrats more power that they need to help us rewrite the law. And as Sally was saying, this is an opportunity. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a lawyer or a singer. What do I do? Um, but from what I understand, the the actual Roe v. Wade law was really poorly written, which is why you know the 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 other side was able to come at it come from a from a legalistic perspective. We can write a much better law that you know will protect women of every race, color, and creed. Because you know, again, this isn't a, you know it's more a, a a woman of color problem than it is white woman problem. And um, you know, we heard yesterday at the the rally that the former president held. A, a congressman came out and said. You know, this is a victory for white life, even though she claimed that that was not what she meant to say, but it was. Um, and so we have to we have to make sure that this umbrella is big enough that it encompasses not just people who identify as women, but, you know, transgender women and um, all people of who need this kind of health care. So hopefully, um, you know, the 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 singing will continue and will grow louder um, whether it's giving money or writing postcards or just sh you know showing up and and, and saying I, this isn't right. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all three of you. Um, you know, to build off of all of you, thank you for being part of our community at the Civics Institute and with the podcast Civics Undaunted. I don't have enough words to tell you how much that this panel has meant for me today. And I think it's going to help a lot of people and our community is only going to get bigger. So thank you. Um, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening today. This was a special episode for me and for so many people in your lives. If you would like to share your story with us, please send an email to civicsundaunted at 203politics.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civics Undaunted podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, can you please head on over to podchaser.com and leave a rating or review? These ratings make a big difference and really help get our podcast noticed. So it would be much appreciated if you could go on over there. Civics Undaunted is a production of the Civics Institute, and it is produced and edited by Katie Kacharski. Please visit www.thecivicsinstitute.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening, and have a great day.